The reading of the scriptures from Psalm 36, I invite your hearing of the word of God in faith and in reverence. Psalm 36. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are mischief and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots mischief while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He spurns not evil. Thy steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, thy faithfulness to the clouds. Thy righteousness is like the mountains of God. Thy judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast thou savest, O Lord. How precious is thy steadfast love, O God. The children of men take refuge in the shadow of thy wings. They feast on the abundance of thy house, and thou givest them drink from the river of thy delights. For with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light do we see light. O continue thy steadfast love to those who know thee and thy salvation to the upright of heart. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the evildoers lie prostrate. They are thrust down, unable to rise. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When I was uh, in the army, I had a saying that I would oftentimes uh, remind myself of, uh, namely that when you're out front, uh, sometimes people throw rocks at you. And in many respects that's true, not necessarily literally, of course, but uh, people have a way of uh, throwing rocks to uh, unsettle someone or perhaps to unseat them, cause them to fall. Uh, remind you that they threw the cross at our Savior. Um, thankfully, he was steadfast to the end. We praise God for, uh, for his uh, loyalty and perseverance uh, through that time of tribulation and, of course, for conquering it. Uh, but it is a reminder that the ungodly throw rocks at Christians. And while that's a great threat, uh, it is our reminder that... Uh, the object of our faith uh, becomes all the more important when you recognize that people seek to do you harm. Uh, and that is exactly, if you take that and impose that upon our text this morning, it's exactly the breakout of our text uh, because the wicked are a threat to the man of God, verses 1 to 4. Uh, in this case, uh, David But understanding who God is encourages uh, David, us, verses 5 to 9, and uh, causes David and should cause us to pray for future protection, verses 10 to 12. Uh, if you think of the context, uh, reading through the psalm, uh, my own mind's fairly easy to grasp that this is a wisdom psalm. Uh, we've looked at, in the recent uh, past, a number of Psalms of Lament, and as you know, that's the largest uh, number of the psalms. The psalmist is complaining uh, to God uh, because of the distresses of life, whatever their venue, but 
Here there's a wisdom psalm uh, because threats to our faith can erode our confidence in God uh, and cause us to wonder if God is really able to keep us safe. And so the psalmist, David, God in his grace and mercy and the psalm gives us wisdom to navigate these times when people are throwing rocks at us. Uh, and it's a reminder that the very basis of our courage and our steadfastness in such times is a complete understanding of who God is. Uh, because understanding the great attributes of God is essential for remaining steadfast and rock solid when people are throwing rocks at you. Well, verses 1 to 4, the ungodly are a threat to the godly man. It's very interesting that uh, David calls them transgressors because they seemingly cross boundaries uh, with impunity. It's not a bother to them to cross the boundaries of God's word. Uh, they could care less about it, so they cross them with ease. Uh, sometimes they cross the boundaries of civil law. They could care less about that because uh, they see themselves as above it all. And David here reminds us of something that is uh, essential, uh, and that is uh, the transgression speaks to the ungodly within his heart. The problem is in their hearts. It's always in the heart. That's where danger begins. It's in the heart. I remind you of uh, Jeremiah 17.9. Uh, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Certainly as Christians, we know for certain that only God can cure the heart. Uh, profoundly grateful for our uh, medical community that can go in and, I don't know, clean out veins and fix valves, and uh, on and on, uh, insert pacemakers to keep the heart, but ultimately only God can heal the heart. That's why Solomon says in Proverbs 4, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. But the ungodly gives no thought to spiritual conditions of his heart, because he has no fear of God. He denies any form of judgment. Epidemic. There is no eternal judgment. Uh, I'd remind you that that's even crested into the church. Uh, we're all going to heaven, aren't we? No. Uh, only those who belong to Christ are. Uh, but that concept of sloppy universalism, again, uh, crested into the church. But we reject it because... Uh, we know the scriptures. Uh, and it causes the ungodly man to have uh, a perverted estimation of himself and self-flattery. Verse 2, he flatters himself in his own eyes. Spends too much time looking in the mirror. It's very interesting, uh, the verb flattery. Uh, we've studying that in our Sunday school class in direct and indirect sense. It's literally to be smooth. To be smooth. It's uh, so a profound spiritual uh, concept. The prophet Hosea, chapter 10 and verse 2, describes Israel with smooth hearts. 
Ultimately, it's an acknowledgement of idolatry because the metalsmith uh, takes some metal and smooths it out and shapes it into a form and uh, makes an idol out of it. And of course, uh, Israel had been worshiping idols. The idols were smooth, so guess what happens to their hearts? Their hearts become smooth. It's a danger of idolatry. Uh, and that's the point of wisdom, the wisdom of this wisdom psalm, that smooth hearts are easily turned. Uh, the idea is uh, that this man makes his way smooth in the sense of self-deception. And so he believes that he does no wrong uh, because he makes himself righteous in his own eyes. Uh, literally, the text is he finds no uh, iniquity in himself because he flatters himself. Uh, my, my favorite illustration to this regard that I think is an epidemic in our country is that we keep our own scorecards. I oftentimes say as an illustration uh, that um, I could beat the greatest golfers in the world if I can keep my own scorecard. The problem with the scripture is that it permits you to keep your own scorecard because God sees the heart, discerns the ways of men. And the true keeper of the scorecard is God, the great God of heaven. And out of grace, we know the greater reality is that because of our failure in keeping our own scorecards is that the Savior comes uh, to wipe it clean. That's why we hope in Him. But it is a great danger. We sometimes have a way of saying uh, to the effect that I'm keeping my own scorecard and I'm so impressed with the outcome. We know that God will bring all things under judgment. It's the point of wisdom. Uh, but from the mouth of the transgressor comes words of wickedness and uh, deception. Uh, the word deception is a very pronounced concept in all of the scriptures. Isn't it interesting? We know from the first chapters of the book of Genesis that the serpent comes to, to do what? To deceive Eve. And as we've been studying, uh, we know that that concept of biblical theology runs throughout all of the scriptures, old and new. The serpent is always coming into the sanctuary of God to deceive the people of God, and to make their hearts smooth. And when their smart hearts are smooth, he can easily turn them. Concept uh, very prominent in the wisdom literature, the Old Testament. For example, Proverbs chapter two, verse sixteen: uh, "The wise father is instructing his son." And the text reads, to deliver you from strange, strange woman, uh, from the adulteress who flatters with her words. She sits on the corner. Hey, come, come to my house. Uh, my husband's on a business trip. Nothing to worry about. Stolen bread is sweet. Solomon gives us the wisdom. Says, if you go to that house, that's where the dead live. So turn away. The young man is told to turn away. 
Uh, think about this in the concept of our own culture. Just the incredible inroads of uh, immorality that's becoming uh, more and more accepted and even attempting to assimilate the church. Solomon says, don't turn there because that's where the dead live. That's wisdom. Wisdom. Uh, and from the words of the transgressor, we shift to his plans. Um, it says the wicked uh, continually uh, plan literally to think upon their beds uh, plotting as to how they might ensnare the righteous man. Verse 4, he plans wickedness upon his bed. Uh, I mean, you've got to be pretty obsessed with something. Typically, you know, we're counting sheep or we're trying to go to sleep. Uh, but this guy, this guy's plotting at the end of his day, he's plotting how he might execute his plans on the morrow. And his plans lead him to take a resolute stand uh, in the way of evil. He sets himself on a path that is not good. He does not despise evil. In fact, think about it. Haven't we totally redefined the evil in our culture? Well, that's a moral concept. Who are you to bring your morality? Take it somewhere else. Well, that's the product of what? Deception. It's a product of smooth hearts. That's a product of people deliberately planting to sell their smooth words. I would remind you of a concept that really shouldn't be novel, but I suspect that it is. Uh, and that is that the ungodly, the non-Christians, uh, they are recruiters, always recruiting for their cause. They do it in the academy, and they're doing it in the church, recruiting for their cause. And the reality is that such men are are a serious uh, threat to the righteous. That's why David is giving us wisdom. Uh, he says their conscience is smooth, meaning they have no boundaries to check them. Uh, they often ignore uh, and corrupt civil law uh, as well as uh, God's law to enable them to do evil. I read an interesting illustration of this about a man who grew up in the Lutheran church in Germany. Learned their catechism. Uh, his name was Hermann Goring. Uh, he was uh, he was infamous for uh, going into the homes of wealthy people and inducing them of uh, stealing uh, their art treasures uh, by paying them literally pennies on the dollar, and then inducing them to sign a bill of sale. So then when he was accused of being an art thief in the Nuremberg trials, he was incensed. I have a bill of sale. I purchased that art. If you, 
you force someone to sign a bill of sale, you can buy lots of things in life. Uh, it's very interesting um, that the army, uh, in a measure of its goodness, when Goring was in prison, assigned a Lutheran chaplain to minister to the men who were literally on death row to share the gospel with them. To remind them that they grew up in Lutheran homes and they took confirmation. Goring blew it all off. He could have cared less. He dismissed uh, uh, the chaplain. Some of the men, by the way, remarkable act of the grace and mercy of our Savior, repented before they were hung. Goring was too cowardly, took his own life. But that's the way of evil men. I paid for that. What do you mean I stole it? How can you be so brazen in your charges against me? Don't throw those rocks against my house. God was so guilty, it's incredible. It's the way of the wicked. Um, on a more subtle scale, I, I find this so amazing. Uh, Dr. Raymond uh, Demadian, is a medical doctor and research scientist, died recently, read his obituary in the Wall Street Journal. Remarkable gentleman. Uh, he invented the... Uh, Magnetic Resonance Imaging Machine, MRI. It is a remarkable, I call, I call it a machine, but I mean, it literally enables the physicians to say, Bowersox, we're kind of concerned about that, or maybe you've been in that machine. What, what a diagnostic tool. Probably one of the greatest medical inventions of the 20th century. You would have thought, Dr. Demadian, if anyone was deserving the Nobel Prize for medicine, it was that guy. He didn't get it because he was a creationist and not a Darwinist. And who rules the academy but the Darwinists? Remarkable. It is a reminder that here an eminent scientist, an inventor, and medical doctor was a creationist. Believe that God created us. Not time and chance. But that happens. People throw rocks. You come up with an invention. They they pass you by because you don't buy into their propaganda. In verses 5 to 9, the, the godly are protected by understanding who God is. It, is. it is critical that we understand that in times of danger, the threats, whatever venue they come from, religious government, civil government, our, our God is ultimately our protector. And the text, as you might well imagine, speaks to the attributes of God in verses 5 to 9. I find it interesting, uh, perhaps I shouldn't mention this, but our new member class, we uh, spend several weeks studying the attributes of God. I'm always amazed as I ask people, have you ever 
Have you ever done a formal study on the attributes of God? Generally, it's, no, I've studied those. Just the characteristics of God, who God is. But David's going to tell us that they are essential for courage in an evil day. To know who God is. Because who God is means that he is our protector. Uh, first, David says, your covenantal loyalty and love. Notice verse 5. Reaches to the heavens. It's a figure of speech. Literally, it's infinite. Uh, this word we, we find a great deal in the Old Testament. Uh, literally translated God's covenantal loyalty. God makes a covenant with his people. And he's loyal to his signature on the bottom line, if you will. It's one of the greatest attributes of all Scripture. The loyalty of God to gather His own out of the lost and to save them by the power of the cross. Reaches to the skies. In other words, we can't count it. We can't measure it. They don't make a rocket big enough at Canaveral to be able to measure it. For us, it's immeasurable. God's loyalty to us. Great inducement, by the way, to come and to know the Savior. And ultimately, when you come to know the Savior, you know that you come to know the Savior because He was loyal to God the Father to so bring you. Uh, second, David says, your faithfulness or dependability reaches to the skies, parallel with God's loyal love. God is faithful. God is faithful. I know that that's an attribute sometimes. We, is God really being faithful to me? Well, absolutely. Always faithful. It's who God is. It defines His essence, the faithfulness of God. Faithfulness and God go together. Very fond of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you. But God is faithful. will allow you and enable you to endure it. So that our enduring of the temptations is based upon what? Our strength? Our abilities? No. The faithfulness of God. That God is and is always faithful to His people. Third, your righteousness is like the mountain of God. Verse 6. The mountains of God. It's a simile, of course, figure of speech, telling us that uh, God's righteousness is fixed and immovable. Can't be moved. Think of the great peaks around the world that mountaineers try to go and conquer. And oftentimes they do with their great skill. The point of the mountains is they cannot be moved. 
I don't think Caterpillar makes an earth mover big enough to move any of the great peaks, much less Mount Scott in southwestern Oklahoma. More of a hill than a mountain, but nonetheless, there are no earth movers. A reminder to us that every time we see them, you go to Colorado, you see them. You go to Montana and Wyoming, you see them. A reminder of what? A lesson God is shouting to you. God's righteousness is fixed. God is never shaken. And if God is like a mountain that can never be shaken, we can trust him. So that our ability to remain courageous in difficult threats is based upon understanding these great attributes of God. Next, your judgment, so like a great deep. The Pacific Ocean. The great trenches of the Pacific Ocean. The fact that David mentions that his uh, judgments in verse 6 are like the Pacific Ocean literally the great deep, means that he's the preeminent adjudicator of all litigation, notable because he sees the heart and all of its motives and all authority and justice is his. And he will bring all things under judgment. In other words, those who throw rocks should be very careful and should fear the Lord when they throw them at God's people. I mean, if you look at the wisdom of the first psalm, verse 5, this is their end state. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. God, because he can judge the heart, will purify the church. Another reminder of this in Verse 28 of Psalm 37. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake His godly ones. They are preserved forever. So His ability to get it right is as deep and vast as all the oceans put together. He will correct all wrongs and cure every liability. So we can remain confident. He will make justice in his own time. Next, you preserve your own. Latter part of verse 6. This uh, word preserve comes from the verb to save. It is a reflection of the providence of God. Providence of God, the Puritans uh, teach us this, is uh, God's most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all His creatures and all their actions. Again, what a great reminder of understanding who God is because He is our ally. Used to have a guy that would always say to me, Phil, God plus one is a majority. It's really, think about it, it's really true. 
If you think in the history of warfare, particularly the American uh, way of doing war, it's always coalition warfare. Think of World War One, the Second World War, the recent wars in the Gulf. Uh, we we build coalitions. We generally go to the English and the French and gain a few other nations, the Australians. Uh, well, you and I, knowing the Savior Jesus Christ, belong to the greatest coalition of warfare of all time. Making Him the ultimate protector. So one thing for sure, in all of our battles in life, we don't fight alone. Because God plus one is indeed the greatest majority there is. And it is, it is a subtle reminder that uh, confusion over the majesty and supremacy of God uh, by implication is a source of anxiety for the, uh, for the young Christian who uh, has yet taken the time to study the great attributes of God. And that proper understanding gives us a sense of confidence and security amidst all of the vagaries of life. It quickens the resolve of the faithful and steals our focus to persevere. Knowing all the well, that's because God is persevering within us because of His grace. That in the exigencies of difficult and trying times, the attributes of God are the basis of our courage to continue faithful. And we see this in the praise of David. Notice verse 7, how precious, how precious is thy loving kindness, O God. Reminded what Solomon teaches us. Wisdom is better than rubies. And all the things that are to be desired in life are not to be compared unto her. And this is wisdom that God takes care of his own. We understand who he is. We know that. And we draw understanding and solace and courage from understanding who he is. And that wisdom is better than rubies. All over the world, people are collecting precious stones and precious metals and uh, little pieces of paper that uh, in our culture are colored green. And there's a need for some of that to be sure. I don't discount it. Uh, if you want to really collect something, collect the wisdom of Scripture that eventually takes you to the majesty of God that will keep you safe, preserve you faithful to the end. It says your covenantal loyalty is uh, precious and valuable. The Greek translation of the Old Testament has your mercy is multiplied continually ad infinitum. Uh, as such, we take refuge in the shadow uh, of your wings. Figure of speech here, we know it technically is a zoomorphism. Uh, the eaglet is uh, secured under the wings of its parent. In verse 8, in your sanctuary, my cup runs over. Your people drink their fill of the abundance of thy house point of our call to worship this morning. Psalm 23, you prepare a table before me 
in the presence of my enemies. God parading us before our enemies, showing that he vindicates us. He makes us the victor. When they thought they were the victors, but he makes us the victor. He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies, and David says, and my cup runs over. Never runs out. We never have to play that silly game of, are you an optimist or pessimist, half full or half empty? Our cup never, never runs out. Provision of God. Uh, the word, the word verse eight, thou dost give them to drink of the river of thy delights. Uh, the Hebrew text, the word delights literally, literally is Eden. We return spiritually to Eden before the fall. And all the majesty, the provision of God to Adam and Eve for the fall. God recovering us from the fall. Giving us a taste, a foretaste of Eden. And as you know, in your biblical theology, we return to Eden, Revelation 21-22. The garden sanctuary of the people of God. Vacant the serpent. Gone forever. And lastly, God is the fountain of life and light in the midst of dark times. Breaks ultimately upon the good shepherd who's the, who's the light of the world. Verses 1 to 4, there's the description of the world we live in. And the wicked seem to have the upper hand. It's all reversed by the knowledge of God who cares for his own and preserves his own. I think of our Savior, John 17, high priestly prayer. Speaking of his disciples, his true disciples. While I was with them, I was keeping them in thy name which thou hast given me. And I guarded them. And not one of them perished. But the son of perdition. That the scriptures might be fulfilled. He knew he was going to be betrayed. He didn't keep that one. He kept all the rest. What a great reminder of the grace of God. When we think of Peter, and and even David, as you know, he went after them when they broke wisdom and recovered them, restored them. The point of Psalm 23, you, you restored my soul. The mercy of God. We need to see ourselves in light of Peter and David. Because sometimes we act like them. And yet we learn here the greater countervailing force uh, that God recovers his own, cares and preserves for his own. John 17, 15. Do not ask that you take them out of the world but to keep them from the evil one. It's one of the great prayers of all of the scriptures. It's reminded to us that the prayer brings us through an evil world. It does not remove us from it. Preservation through. We go through it, preserved by the grace of God through it. We enter it and we come out the other end. 
How does that happen? Well, you and I know it is grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. Mercy of God in the Scriptures. John picks up that theology in his first epistle. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them. So he protects us from the false prophets and false teachers who are really the great rock throwers. And in light of this, uh, the great provision of God, the majesty of the attributes of God, his covenantal loyalty, his justice, his righteousness, the fact that he is always immovable and unshaken. Verses 10 to 12, David, the godly man, prays for uh, God to continue, continue his protection. Remind you of our Lord's Prayer. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. That's what God does for those who belong to Him. One of the great provisions of the Savior is His authority to forgive sin. No one else on all the earth has that authority but Him. He forgives sin because He pays the bill in His death and resurrection. But it's also a reminder that He protects His own. And so we overcome because He overcame for us. All traced back to His grace and mercy, His ability and His providence to preserve what God the Father has given to Him. So He prays. The threats continue, so God, You continue to be gracious to me. It's a prayer worth praying. I would say to you each and every moment of the day as you have occasion. Deliver me, Lord, from evil that's knocking upon my door, that's haunting me in the streets, that follows me wherever I go. Deliver me. And that's what God does. Neither side lets up, but only the latter. God's deliverance is what is essential. Uh, And the object of his continuance uh, in our song, the word God's covenant of loyalty is used third time. It's interesting how David repairs to one word three times in this very short song. Continue thy loving kindness to those who know thee. It's who God is. Always loyal and faithful to his own. It's who God is, and so it's what he does. It is the wellspring of our loyalty to him. Uh, Secondly, he asked God, this is an essential element of his prayer, let not the foot of pride come upon me. One of the great dangers to uh, the Christian that he become, becomes pride, proud begins to fall prey to the deception of the man of evil, flatters himself. See, the importance of the five great solas. Uh, we understand it is truly grace alone, not our abilities. It's 
Obviously just as true that God in the scriptures gives us wisdom and tells us how to conduct ourselves. Uh, but even that in their understanding is the grace of God. And so we, we reject pride. Because all the boasting belongs to God. Because of the evil that is present, really what David is saying here in his prayer to be protected against pride is that he cannot be complacent. I think one of the greatest uh, dangers that um, Christians face is that of complacency. I don't need to be diligent. But we must depend upon God's grace each and every day. Because our spiritual strength and ability comes from God. The parallel to complacency is presumption. Be very careful about presuming upon God. Uh, the reverse of presumption is we trust, we depend, we hope in Him alone. It's what David is telling us in this great prayer. Let not the foot of pride come upon me, and let not the hand of the wicked drive me away. I mean, that's their strategy. That's their plan. They are recruiters. To do what? To drive you away from God. So remain close. It's a great, greatest danger, I think, of all of us is that of drift. That's the end state of uh, presumption, pride. We begin to drift. And different currents can do great harm to us. It means that for us, David is not taking his security as a believer for granted because outside of the divine presence, men fall and will not rise. There is a great wisdom text that comes from our Lord. Sermon on the Mount. Teaching goes through all of his words of wisdom, great blessings, reminder. He ends it with everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them will be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain descended, floods came, and the winds blew and burst against that house, and it did not fall because it had been founded upon the rock. The rock is Christ. Build your life upon Him. About a dozen years ago, I had illustration of this in my own home. Hey, Dolan, how come this door won't shut? How come these little cracks and crevices in the mortar and the brick outside, Dolan? Well, call this guy. They come out and they, as you know, they put these jacks down and they, they drill down. To me, what is bedrock? I mean, I don't, I don't get all that stuff. I just know that they do and they made it happen. The door could shut. The cracks closed. My house was on a good foundation. I've got like, what, seven or eleven of those things? Incredible. But I'll go you one better. You build your house upon Christ. And you won't be blown away. He is the rock. 
the great wisdom of the Scriptures. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. Rain descended and floods came. Winds blew and burst against that house. And it fell and great was its fall. Reminder of the importance of the Gospel. The importance of the rock who is Christ. Remind to us that there is only safety in Him. The only safety of the end time judgments. The rock who is Christ. To build our life upon Him and His wisdom, His scriptures, uh, His church, the great confessions of uh, our faith. To build our life upon such a rock. That we become like our rock. Immovable and unshakable in difficult times. So David, in many respects, is teaching us that evil will come. But so will our God. And then we must know and understand who He is. And knowing and understanding who He is will hold us and will keep us until the end. And may God's grace be upon each of us uh, each and every day of our lives. Uh, reminder of His grace and the rock who is Christ. And that to treasure our hope that is alone in Him today and forevermore until He comes for us. And certainly what is the greatest rescue operation of all time is grace to rescue us that will come and has already come uh, in the cross where He uh, paid the penalty of our sins and conquered death and sin in His resurrection. I trust, I trust that is the object of your hope and that He is your rock as well.